listening to the soilify podcast where we talk about regenerative agriculture and measuring soil carbon to meet modern day environmental challenges i'm kim arora shifting from a chemical dependent and yield focused form of agriculture to one that puts soil and environmental health front and center is tricky business to say the least implementing such a shift at scale requires taking into account social economic and even political realities of the day to talk about the planning and implementation of such shifts we have with us today rajiv ehl rajiv works with the india office of the giz which is a german development agency it is also one of the funders of the soilify project at giz india rajiv is the director of natural resource management and agroecology among the various projects that he leads at giz are those focused on sustainable soil management and innovation in agriculture welcome to the solify podcast rajiv thanks kim let's start with um something very very basic rajiv where is india currently with respect to the extent of and the need for organic or natural farming as we call it um uh, if you look at india um agriculture contributes almost 18% of the gdp with almost 700 million people dependent on it and almost 70% of the rural households are directly involved in agriculture now of course therefore agriculture is the mainstay of life here we can all remember maybe that in the 1960s india went through a series of famines including the pl480 uh grain support from us where ship to mouth became the norm whereas a country because of a grain insecurity we were dependent on other countries so at that time this form of conventional agriculture that you talked about was created and has brought us to a point where we are relatively self sufficient in terms of grain security but i think the access to food the nutrition security aspects are still outstanding and it's in this direction that organic farming or different forms of regenerative farming start becoming important Uh, at this point of time almost seven states in india have declared themselves to be fully natural or organic and they are on the way to achieve this uh, three big states further like gujarat madhya pradesh and up also want to go into this direction so at this point of time almost two and a half million farmers are practicing some form of regenerative agriculture mostly in india natural farming and organic farming and the intention of the government is that by in the next 5 years almost 2 million hectares should come under this type of agriculture now of course in terms of need with 68% of the cropped area uh, being uh, totally rain fed so we are looking at something like 86 million hectares and this is mostly cultivated by farmers who are small and marginal so almost 80% of farm sizes are very small so in a sense these rain fed areas become the first areas where we should take to regenerative agriculture more aggressively uh, in 1980s when i was living and working in himachal in the mountains i chanced upon a book by mosanabi fukoka called one straw revolution which opened my eyes actually to what was then something still new to us in india and i started practicing it on one hectare of my own farmland and i realized how this form of f- uh, farming 
is also something very important for the mountain systems of India. And if we look at the tribal areas of India, which are predominantly still very low on use of external inputs and inorganic inputs, I think this is the third area where we really need to strengthen our natural farming and organic practices. So huge rain-fed areas, mountain systems, and tribal areas. I think this is where we need to go to. You say that there are forms of regenerative agriculture, like organic farming and natural farming. So how are these two different and what else would come within the rubric of regenerative agriculture? Because a lot of times people tend to use these terms interchangeably. No, that's a good question. And I think in India, there's been a sort of distinction being made on these two. Now, organic farming, of course, comes from a more of a Western shift from conventional in high intensive agriculture to still an input oriented, but maybe more organic input oriented agriculture. So in a sense, inorganic uh, inputs into farming get replaced by organic or physical, biophysical ones. But it's still an input, external input intensive form of uh, interventionist agriculture. Whereas natural farming is seen to be more of a permaculture oriented, local resources, uh, you know, inoculate the soil to in increase the inherent capacity of soil to heal itself and not be dependent on external compost. So natural farming is a, in, in India seen to be uh, less uh, cost costly, less input based, more naturally oriented uh, system of agriculture. So in a sense, organic farming could be something with more slightly bigger farmers can do easily also because it involves certification and such expensive things as well for the products to be sold whereas natural farming can actually be done more locally uh, for local markets and may not need certification as well okay and uh, there's a research organization called the national academy of agricultural sciences and they came out with a policy paper sometime in 2019 um, it talks about natural farming and more specifically about something that they call zero budget natural farming uh, in India. And they say that there is a need for more scientific validation for the efficacy of these methods that um, that come under zero budget natural farming or ZBNF as they call it. What is this about and what are the scientific knowledge gaps that we are looking to fill today? I think that's a very, very valid question. And a lot of economists in India are also you know, raising this. Now, of course, I think zero budget was, uh, in a sense, intended to show difference from a high input intensive conventional agriculture that you talked about. Uh, in, in a true sense, no agriculture can be zero budget, right? So actually, the more used word in India now is community-based natural farming, not zero, uh, zero budget natural farming. Now, of course, uh, I would like to link this to the overall international discussions as well, why there's a need for science and scientific validation. Now, the COP26 in Glasgow clearly put a red, you know, pressed a red button on climate change, that we are very perilously close to not achieving what we had set out to do. Now, if you see India's farm sector, uh, the, uh, the, the GHG contribution is about 14% of the overall emission. It's not too high, given the huge number of people who are dependent on it. And if you look at forestry system protein, it's still less than 24% of the global contribution that most uh, farming system and forests do globally. Uh, but Indian agriculture uh, and the way it is being done is also not just that there's a contribution of emissions, but also there's been a high reduction in organic soil, soil content. On an average, we are find, finding between 0.3 to 0.4% of carbon content 
which is one tenth or one twelfth of five percent that should be there. So in a sense, our soils are getting depleted. They are becoming lifeless. And uh, there is now credible evidence happening that many of the regenerative uh, farming practices, especially around natural farming, greatly enhance carbon sequestration. And they also uh, reduce emissions because of the soil cover, the multiple uses, and the uh, throughout the year use of carbon and carbon being sequestered and used in the soil. Now, the question, of course, is how do you measure all this? And I think, therefore, it's very the sort of project uh, that we are now working on with the Solify uh, through the I4 Ag uh, co cooperation with the Indo German uh, uh, set of. Um, I4 products. Ag being innovation for agriculture. Yes, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. Inno for innovation yes. for agriculture. And so, in this Solify project, one of the real, I think, very beautiful intent is to use remote sensing for scientifically, accurately, and scalably measuring the soil carbon. Now, if we could do that, then I think the before and after uh, slices of what happens to soil and soil carbon with regenerative practices could be more uh, clearly, uh, you know, uh, evidence-based and could be also uh, clearly shown. And this would build a good case for uh, making and showing uh, the scientific institutions the relevance of these forms of agriculture. I think the other thing worth mentioning is that under Indo-German Development Cooperation, along uh, our one of our agencies, KFW, the Development Bank, is supporting the government of Andhra Pradesh to now center, set up an Indo-German Global Center for Agroecological Research and Learning. And there'll be three substations, and this will collect all the evidence that is there and report it as well. Sure, understanding exactly um, what is the amount of carbon, but is there any other kind of scientific evidence that we are looking for right now that we don't have in terms of uh, natural farming being um, feasible or, or actually giving the kind of results that we want? So that is why this center that I was talking about becomes important, you know. So already in the work that is coming out of RYSS and Andhra Pradesh government, where almost 700,000 farmers are now practicing natural farming, uh, initial uh, crop cutting experiments are already showing an increase in production by 40%, a reduction in water use by 40 to 50 to 60%. So, but all of this is while it's being reported by the institution themselves who are doing it, there's a need to bring scientific institutions to measure it using global standards and benchmark. And therefore, that's why this sort of action research with the farmers needs to be complemented by uh, CGIR and ICR institutions coming in, in as part of this research center to also jointly collect this evidence so that they are part of the evidence collection process and also therefore trust that evidence and therefore use it later on for policy making and for changing their advocacy and practices since we are talking about this um we can't not uh bring up uh, what happened in sri lanka recently for the uninitiated um and those who need to catch up on this last year sri lanka announced a rather ambitious plan to switch entirely to organic farming uh, the switch was rapid and it came with a hard deadline the decision came at a time when the global economy and global supply chains were still suffering the hit they took from the COVID-19 pandemic. And Sri Lanka in particular was facing a shortage of foreign currency. And therefore, barely months into the program, the prices for essential food items skyrocketed in the country and the government eventually had to walk back the program entirely. This is, of course, an extreme case study. Um, 
But uh, Rajiv, I want to ask you, economically speaking, what are the factors one needs to take into account before transitioning farming methods? No, Kim, I think that's a good example. But I would also like to point out that uh, A, like you said, it was more pushed not by a deliberate choice of moving into regenerative agriculture, but more out of a financial choice of not having money to replace and pay back for the input uh, you know, they were buying from global uh, parties. So it was more of a financial decision and not thought through and therefore done in a hurry. We all know that any such transition, I mean, if you look at it, we are now into the 53rd year of green revolution. And uh, from 64 till almost 70, it took six to seven years for behavior and adoption of practices. Now, if we have to educate people in a different type of agriculture, it would need this much amount of time logically, even with the whole country from top to bottom, you know, totally committed to this. And that sort of time one has to give it. So I think as a process, that was not the right way to achieve it. You see Sikkim, uh, it started its uh, organic journey almost in 2005. And it's in 2016 that it declared itself as truly organic or at least wanting to be fully organic. So there is a transition process we must respect and recognize. Now coming to, of course, the economic fact, I mean, you know, economic factors. But I think from a true cost accounting, which we don't do for even conventional agriculture, you have to look at economic, social and environmental costs. Partly I've already spoken about the environmental costs. Uh, but if you look at the economic costs itself, if you look at India for the conventional agriculture that we support, we are giving out almost 1.55 trillion rupees, which is something like $20 billion worth of subsidy every year for fertilizers. At a state level, almost all states give free electricity to farmers. Uh, for the water part, there's a huge extraction of groundwater. Our groundwater levels have fallen almost by one third in 10 years. And by 2025, 68% of India will not have enough groundwater. So this form of uh, agriculture, the way we are going, draws hugely and highly on a very subsidized form of agriculture, which is necessary because 700 million people are dependent on it. But if we change the model towards more natural farming, do no harm principle, then of course, you know, then we are reducing this burden on the government. Therefore, this money can go into actually the economics of transforming and transitioning the agriculture system. I think also, uh, if you look at the social aspects, and I think COVID brought it to everybody's real attention, what is the cost of health? What is the social cost of health? How much do we spend? How much are we increasingly spending on a poor health because of poor food? Yeah. So I think, therefore, moving towards uh, these models of sustainable agriculture would also lead to lower farm input costs. This is what we are seeing. Almost all farmers are reporting much, much reduced uh, input costs. And even at the same level of productivity, or even, even a little bit reduced, though evidence for gain uh, uh, from many of the natural farming experiences from India is showing that almost eight of the main crops, there is no first year productivity loss if you do the practices properly. So what, what, what was generally believed and known globally is that when you move from conventional high input agriculture into organic, because there is a slow transitioning process in the first year, you don't get as much as yield as you used to get when you were on the drug high, right? So there's a fall in productivity, therefore be less production, therefore the farmer will lose incomes. But I think it's, but, so one is that the evidence is showing that this may not happen if you do it properly. Secondly, if your co input costs have gone down, even if your production is reduced, in the end, you end up saving more as a farmer. 
And if your produce is a higher premium because it's natural and gets a better market price, you again make more money. So I think there is a huge economic, uh, uh, you know, uh, reason also to move into this type of farming. Yeah, apart from it just being environmentally less damaging and safer and healthier. Yeah, yeah. Um, Germany has taken to organic farming in a big way in recent years. How do we see that translated in Indo-German economic cooperation today? No, I think that's something which is really becoming big. Uh, already in 2019, the German parliament, the Bundestag, passed a resolution, all party resolution, recognizing that for achieving uh, sustainable development goals, it is imperative and important to recognize and support the potential of agroecology. So they said that generally, as an orientation, the whole world should start looking at agroecology. Now, agroecology, of course, is a framework of principles and elements which are make farming more sustainable. And also it's a way to connect the two global conversations between sustainable agriculture and the food system transformation. That not only do you take care of ecology, you produce healthier food, which is good for the farmer, produces, uh, you know, sustains the ecology at the farm and around the farms, but also feeds people with uh, local better food, but also is good in terms of markets and healthier food for urban people. Now, in order to move into this, I'm very happy to share that on 8th of February, uh, the, uh, the Honorable Minister for uh, Economic Affairs and uh, Development Cooperation in Germany, uh, the ministry called BMZ, uh, Ms. Svenja Schulz, and the Indian Agriculture Minister, Mr. Narendra Singh Tomar, will sign the first joint declaration of intent between the two countries on agroecology and natural resource management. Basically, it means that the Indo-German development cooperation will have this lighthouse focus on agroecology, meaning that all existing and many new projects would have to take care of principles of sustainable agriculture, agroecology in their very design and implementation. And also we will be supporting, uh, the, you know, uh, also the knowledge creation, the existing knowledge for it to be shared between within India, with Germany, with other partners, to make sure that whatever is already known is better adopted and practiced. And I must say that this connects very, very well with what our Honorable Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, since 16th of December and 22nd of December has been you know, really enunciating at a national level uh, very, very strongly, where he's actually asking the farmers, the farmer producer organizations, the various ministries, the state governments, the universities, the, uh, the ICR research institutions, all to help move India towards more natural and sustainable farming, less use of uh, fertilizers, pesticides, weedicides. And I think this, this strong motivation and clear positions on both India and German side clearly show that time for regenerative and sustainable farming for India has come. Yeah, since you mentioned this 8th February uh, date, I, I must tell um, our listeners that we are recording this on the morning of 29th January 2022. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, this has already gone underway. Um, in Germany, we see a lot of, uh, in, in the supermarkets, you have these, this thing called the bio market, spelled B-I-O, bio, called bio in Germany. And it's a big movement. It's culturally and otherwise become really important to be having bio eggs or bio bread. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? 
So I think, uh, so Germany has done this at two levels and many countries have gone there. So one is to brand it, you know, give a acceptable, trustworthy, honest certification uh, of a product which has followed the key principles of what is uh, organic farming or natural farming and can be certified as such. Germany has also done another thing, what is called a green button, that all produce which form for which which actually has followed sustainable approaches or can also go for this green button and therefore that green button. So example, if there is uh, cotton which is grown naturally with fair trade principles, then it gets a green button as well. So this type of branding has been done very well in Germany. I, I think in India also time has come, of course, uh, uh, under uh, the uh, organic farming, there's a fully certified system uh, available in India, especially for export, uh, but also for smaller farmers, there's another certification process called participatory guarantee scheme, where all the farmers come together and they certify that we've actually self-certify that we've followed natural farming principles. But I think these are still, uh, they haven't really met the consumer in a sense where a consumer knows them. And I think a huge body of work exists around getting consumers to understand, appreciate, trust, and use such products. So in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way where then this consumption pulls this whole ecological. So there's a push for ecology and natural farming, and there should be a pull from the consumer for these products. And I think in the next few years, we'll start seeing more of this. It's happening, but we need more of this. Well, we'll keep a lookout for this and we'll keep a lookout for what happens next when it comes to Indo-German development cooperation in agroecology. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rajiv. Thanks a lot, Kim. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for today on the Soilify podcast. You will find links to any articles, news reports or studies we referred to in this episode in the show notes. We'll be back next week with another guest to explore other aspects of regenerative agriculture and soil carbon monitoring. Until then, stay safe and goodbye.